0: Today, I get to talk about grace, and it is, it is such a huge, huge subject. There are many, many books about it. Terry Virgo's written hundreds, all about grace. There are some fantastic books out there. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a great one by Philip Yancey, which is what's so amazing about grace, and we... As as small groups, we got the the DVD thing that goes with it, and we watched it week by week. And we learned loads about grace in two ways, really. One, because actually his teaching is really good. And the other way we learned was actually you needed an awful lot of grace to sit through it. (laughs) Because whilst his teaching's grace, the the production values were, I am going to date myself somewhat here, and I do apologize. The production values were worse than Crossroads. You know, the, the sets wobbled in the background, and he must have bought all of his jumpers from, well, the 1970s, and, and they ch- we learned a lot about Grace. Um, but actually, it's a really good book. Um, there are many, many fantastic resources about Grace, and it is such a huge subject. I'm only, only gonna be able to touch on it a little bit this morning. And Well, a simple description. I'm I'm, I'm just going to break the music stand for a moment. A simple description. Wesley described grace like this. He said, by grace, we mean the undeserved, unmerited, loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. And that's what we've seen this morning. We've seen grace demonstrated throughout the whole meeting this morning. We sometimes have quite a, quite a straightforward idea that, that grace is God giving us some nice things that we really haven't quite earned for ourselves and it's something that God just dispenses. Sometimes we can think of grace as being a, a little bit like a token, a little bit like money, like, like a child with their pocket money. Dad, I would really like something, but I don't have enough. Do you know what? My daughter used to do that to me all the time. We would go to the shops. with some. I've had my pocket money. Can I buy this game? Yes. Have you got enough money? Well, if you would just give me a little bit, I'll make up the difference. And we kind of think of grace as a little bit like that. God just making up that little bit of difference that we don't really deserve, it's so much, much more than that. Grace, grace is part of God's character. He's a God of grace from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, and we can't get much more beginning than that, Adam and Eve sin. And actually, therefore, they they deserve death. They deserve death straight away. And God chooses not to do that. He chooses to cover them. He kills a couple of animals, creates some clothes for them, and covers them. And then expels them from the garden and says to them, do you know what? One day a is going to come. And then they live for another nine years right at the very start when Adam and Eve deserve death God demonstrates his grace and it goes on and on all the way through the Old Testament Noah knows of God's grace This says in Genesis 6 8 Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord I could go through Abraham, Esther, Enoch, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the children of Israel, all knowing God's grace. The whole story of Jonah is about grace. God tells Jonah to tell the Ninevites to change their ways. And if they do, he'll show them grace and mercy. Actually, these people were really the enemies of Israel, and they were still gonna meet a God of grace. Jonah goes into a huff that the enemies of God are gonna be saved. And God even shows grace to him. He gives him a plant to shade him from the sun, even when he's sulking. And he uses that to show Jonah how much he cares for people. Grace jumps out of many of the Psalms So many parts of the life of David. God shows his grace and mercy so many times to the people of Israel and to others throughout the whole of the Old Testament. It's not a sudden new idea. It's not when we get to the New Testament, God's suddenly a God of grace. It is part of his character. It always has been. But then in the New Testament, Well, he goes even further. Jesus comes. The Word becomes flesh. The grace of God gets human form. We'll be coming back to that a bit later. God always has been and always will be a God of grace. And the whole world benefits from that. Whether they know it or not, something called common grace Grace which is poured out on all people, regardless of whether they know God or not. It says this in Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If it's good, it's from God. He made the universe. He sustains the universe. And whilst we live in it, if anything blesses us, it's God's grace. We deserve nothing. If we get anything good, it's more than we should have, and it's God's grace. God's gracious in making a way for us To be saved, he's gracious in saying, actually, he wants the gospel preached all over the world. He's gracious in delaying judgment, giving people time to repent and change. He shows compassion, goodness, kindness, he shows patience. To Christians and non Christians. Every breath that every person, whether they're saved or not, takes is an example of the grace of God. It's by His grace He restrains some of the effects of sin on individuals, on groups, even on nations. There are examples of that in the Bible. God protects Sarah, Abraham's wife. He stops the nations that surround Israel from taking their lands when they go to visit God. God shows mercy to the whole world. When, when you think of some of the things that could have happened, the consequences of the actions of people and nations, it should lead us to thank God that things haven't been worse. It's God's grace that restrains evil. And if God didn't restrain evil in people's hearts, which Jeremiah seventeen nine says are deceitful and wicked, if God didn't restrain the evil in people's hearts, humanity could have destroyed itself centuries ago. But God works through common grace in all men and women. God's sovereign plan for history isn't stopped by people's evil hearts, evil thoughts, and evil actions. His grace is superior. We all benefit from common grace. Then, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of grace. The cross is saving grace, the generous provision of salvation. God has a, has a moral law, the 10 Commandments. Actually, we spent quite a long time looking at those. Actually, about 10 weeks now I think about it. God's got a moral law and it reveals his nature, his will, how he wants us to live how we can please him. His law still applies today. But people don't follow it. Mankind is full of sin. The stuff we do wrong, the stuff we do that's against God's will. When we miss the mark, doing things that we know are wrong, maybe mistakes, when we've had good intentions and just blown it a bit. When we've had good plans to do good work and not carried them out. When we know what's right, we intend to do what's right and then fall flat on our faces and fail. All people, we all make mistakes. We all actually also actively choose to sin. If we examine our hearts we know that before we were saved, we were in rebellion against God. We knew what God's law was. We may have even acknowledged God's law. But then, I'll break it anyway. And we were dead in those mistakes. We were dead in those sins. It says in Romans 3, all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us. And for God, it's simple. It also says in Romans, the wages of sin are death. There is a but coming. That's twice you've heard but in church this morning. <laughs> and we'll get onto that but in a bit. The wages of sin are death. We were dead. We were dead in our rebellion. And there's something about being dead. You can't affect that. You can, something that's dead can't bring itself back to life. It's dead. So everybody who didn't know God, who doesn't know God, is dead. In the Old Testament, God had a people he had a nation that he chose, a nation to love him. You would kind of hope they were getting it right. Israel at times did try to follow the laws. But if you follow their history, they misquoted them, they misapplied them. And by Jesus' time, the rules were a mass of confusion and Rules and rituals that are so far away from the intention of the Ten Commandments that we looked at that it was just a mess. People had twisted something that would cause a relationship with God and to live a way He liked into ifs and buts and do's and don't. For example, it was decided that someone could not write two two consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet on the Sabbath. Because it was work. He could write one, but not two. I don't recall that in the Ten Commandments. I don't recall that in any of the other things that we've looked at. A man could not apply a a dressing, a wadding, smeared with ointment onto a fresh wound you could wrap it up if it wasn't in ointment but if you'd put ointment on you'd done the work of a doctor and you couldn't do that on the sabbath I could go on but just one more women's jewellery that was also up for scrutiny on the sabbath as well not because of how it would look but because of its size wives could not wear a brooch or ornament on the Sabbath. Because if it was a big brooch, you would be carrying a burden, which is doing work. In fact, actually, if you were a Jew, you couldn't even light a fire on the Sabbath, but you could get a Gentile to do it for you instead. Jesus says this in Matthew, "'This people honoured me with their lips.'" but their heart was far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. It was the letter of the law that mattered to these people, not the spirit behind it. They focused so hard on the details of how to get round it, how to apply the letter, that they destroyed the purpose behind it, which is to show love for God the legalism and the twisting of the rules showed that even God's people, the people who could have had the closest relationship with him, still couldn't live in a good way. So no matter what the background, everyone, everyone sinned and had no way of making it right. And with this being the case, you would think that Jesus, well, he could either just wipe the people out, but he wants to give people a chance to get closer to him. Or he could wipe the laws out, but he's a holy God and he can't ignore sin. So mankind's got a huge problem. And if the story ended there, we're dead in our sin, we're facing God's wrath, we're up the creek. But the story doesn't stop there because God is a God of grace. We are dead in our failures and in our sins, but God is a God of grace. We're dead and there's nothing we can do about it other than rot, but God is a God of grace. Our best efforts that we can do on our own Still aren't good enough, but God's a God of grace. We deserve eternal judgment, but God is a God of grace. He sent Jesus. Jesus kept all of the laws properly, he could hold his head up high, he could stand in front of God knowing he'd obeyed every law that was laid down and obeyed it perfectly and then taught the correct meaning of it. He obeyed the spirit of it. He provides a way of salvation that meets all the requirements of the law. He fulfilled it and then nailed it to a cross. Jesus didn't destroy the law, but he destroyed the idea that obedience to the law is the method by which you can put things right. The hope of making people good with the threat of a law is in vain. Laws can show you what sin is, can show you what sin isn't, but they don't give the ability to live right. Grace does. Look at what happens when laws are removed or laws are ignored, or people don't think that they'll be seen or found out. Look at the riots we had in the streets a few years ago. Look at the the fall of some famous celebrities. Living right takes something more than people can do. And it was this something that Jesus came to give. He fulfilled the old law and took it out of the way. By grace not by our own efforts, which fail, we can come to Jesus and say, look, I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do about it. Take me and I'll follow you. And because he's a God of grace, the punishment, the death we deserve, is paid for by Jesus. Without this saving grace, we are all doomed. As it is, everyone has a chance. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you have already benefited from that. God's grace to save us. It is entirely, completely a work of God. It's not us. We don't deserve it. We don't add anything to it. J.I. Packer describes grace like this. He says, what is grace? Grace means God's love in action towards men who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who couldn't lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending His only Son to descend into hell on the cross so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. It's all about Him. To make the slightest contribution to our salvation is to rule out the possibility of grace. we contribute nothing for one thing any contribution that we did make we would we would just exaggerate in our own minds i mean imagine if you i don't know if you if you had a fine to pay maybe a speeding fine maybe some of you have encountered that (sighs) maybe if somebody said, you know what, I'll pay that, I'll pay that for you, I'll cover you for that, and you just give them, well, here's the last five pence, that just covers it. The Actually, this could be quite telling. The, I don't know, how much is it now? How much is it now? Oh, somebody fell for it. (laughs) The 60 pounds, do you know what, I've put my five pence in I've covered that last little bit myself. Because we're human, our temptation would be to blow that out of proportion. Yeah, yeah, the the fine, yeah, I contributed to that, yeah, yeah, I helped pay for that. Actually, my bit was the important bit. It was the last bit. We can do that with grace. If any part of it was us, we would blow it out of all proportion. No matter how small a contribution, we would we would say. Oh, yeah, it, it was us. It's either all grace or it's not grace at all. Actually, our efforts to contribute to God's saving grace would be an insult. Suppose that the queen invites you for tea, which has happened to some folks here, and you have... A wonderful, wonderful time. And then at the end, after all the tea and cucumber sandwiches, smiling and waving, shaking hands, you go up to her on the way out. Say, Thank you, thank you very much, Your Majesty. That was that was a fantastic thing you've given me. Now here's a fiver to help cover the cost. That's not gonna go down well, is it? You just got to hope that she can't take you straight to the tower. It's an insult. Grace does not require, does not accept any contribution from us. It's all about Him. He gives it all to us freely. We add nothing. And just to show you some of the stuff that he does give us freely, I found a list, John Groves wrote this in one of his papers, I can't remember which one. Um, We bring nothing, this is what he brings. He brings total forgiveness of our sins. We are justified freely. There are references for all of these. We're made righteous. We have peace with God. We are free from condemnation. We become children of God. We get born again by the Holy Spirit. We receive the Spirit of Sonship. We become in Christ and share all He has and all He is. We're chosen, quickened by the living God. We become a covenant people. We get free access to God. We get the Holy Spirit. We can go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We become a new creation. We have eternal life. This is all of grace. We deserve nothing. He chooses to give us a way to be saved and then gives us all of this on top. That's grace. Everyone in the world benefits from common grace we all have the chance to benefit from saving grace. But actually, it doesn't just stop there. We need to live a Christian life. So God shows us ongoing grace. God doesn't stop displaying grace when we become Christians. In fact, we become more aware of what we do wrong. We still do things wrong. We need fresh doses of grace all the time to stand as Christians. Most of us, I think, are pretty legalistic by nature. We, we kind of think that the more we perform, the more favor we learn from God and the more blessings he'll give us. If we're motivated by grace, it means we realize that's not true. His grace is gonna flow to us whether we deserve it or not. Look, we're all less than perfect in some areas. If we're honest enough to realize that, we can see that Jesus is gonna demonstrate healing and mercy to us. Whenever Jesus had the opportunity, he would forgive people for their sins in Matthew, we get the story of one of Jesus' followers as asking him, How many times a day should he forgive someone who sins against him? Seven times? Jesus says, No, you should forgive him 70 times, seven times, which is 490, which isn't what he means. What he means is, No, you keep on forgiving. There's no limit on forgiveness. God has no limit on the amount of forgiveness we can expect from him. There's no limit on the amount of grace he can and he will show. It's not just a one-off instance of forgiveness, but a continual state of being. Under grace... We no longer beat up others or ourselves with guilt or shame about every moment's shortcomings. We choose to love the person and ourselves in spite of these shortcomings. So what happens when Christians sin? Do we lose our salvation? Do we have to go and get saved all over again? No. We are as near to God now as we can be. We are completely clean. We are never viewed as guilty in God's sight. That can't change. We've died to sin. The law can't touch you when you're dead. This constant flow of grace from God washes over us again and again and again. It never stops. In fact, if we fail, God's grace increases. You hear the term fallen from grace. That's not possible. You can't fall from grace. You can fall into grace, and you can fall into grace more and more. That's the position we're in. We still live in a body of flesh which fails We can still sometimes choose to sin and give in. And that displeases God. But he doesn't love us any less. We heard that from Anne-Marie this morning. He doesn't love us any less. We can feel a failure and a mess sometimes. His love never falters. We need to realize that actually he loves us even even if we choose to deliberately continue doing things wrong, he still loves us. there 'd be consequences, but he loves us. We need to realize that we 've died to sin we 're no longer mastered by sin. We can choose not to we 're not slaves as we once were. In Romans chapter 5, Paul taught that where sin increased, grace abounded. But he quickly went on to say, actually, that's not an incentive to live badly. (laughs) It may occur to you that, actually, if you can never be found guilty again, you might as well carry on sinning. Actually, if you think that, you've, you've got a hold of grace. You could do that. It's great. And it's a scandal. And Paul says, don't do that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? In reality, the more we understand the grace of God, the more we don't want to sin. We can't rely on rules and regulations that we might seek to impose on ourselves, they serve no real purpose in making us holy. We just need to keep falling into God's grace when we get things wrong. As we fail and we keep receiving favor and love from God rather than condemnation, it becomes obvious to us this is a better way to live. We're holy And so because of this, we start to act that out rather than being in a constant state of condemnation for mucking things up. It's God's grace day after day after day that enables us to live the Christian life. And there's enough of it. There's enough grace to keep going. God gives us Sufficient grace. I've already said you, you can't add anything to grace. It, it's all grace or it's not grace at all. But the other side of that is that you don't have to add anything to it. His grace is enough. It says this in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I'm, straight, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. For every situation you face in life, his power, grace is enough no matter how badly you stuff up his grace is enough no matter how difficult a situation his grace is enough now I know there are folks here who are in difficult situations health situations, family situations. His grace is enough. He's promised he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He'll never put anything in your way that you can't overcome. His grace is enough. Your strength isn't. His grace is. His grace is is sufficient. When whatever comes into life, it's come from a God of grace. He's promised to enrich your life in what he gives you or what he doesn't give you. And he knew that living this life of grace of facing the challenges of life is going to take something more than our own will, something more than our own effort, our own understanding. So after Jesus died, there was a new expression of grace. It was sent to the disciples, the Holy Spirit. It's a new form of grace that the early Christians met his power in, met his presence in, and met all sorts of gifts in as well. If you look at the change in the early Christian community, the grace of the Holy Spirit absolutely changing them, taking people who were pretty flawed, quite shy, quite timid, and utterly transforming them, filling them with wisdom and all sorts of stuff, that suddenly they began to convert tens of thousands of people Holy Spirit is a demonstration of God's grace that we can all live in and benefit from today. I have a, a huge list of people from uh, from uh, Jesse Ryle, a bishop, hundred years ago. I'm not going to read it out, but he says, "Just look at what." God's grace in these people's lives did. And he goes to talk about um, a a Jew, the bitterest, bitterest enemy of Christianity. A man who was the strongest stickler for laws and rules and twisting them. And grace entered his life and he became the Apostle Paul. He talks about a Roman Catholic monk in the midst of all sorts of superstitions that God's grace moves on him, clears his eyes, and he understands faith. He understands that it's grace. And he's talking about Martin Luther. And he talks about loads of others, but a sailor, a captain of a slave ship, who becomes a writer of letters and hymns, and is John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. All of these folks, they didn't lead a successful life by trying to figure out what's the best interpretation of the law I can get away with, by trying to make God love them more, by finding extra ways to meet his commands. lived with grace Jesus came fulfilled the law and created the chance for those who choose to follow him to live with the law under grace to be free from sin and still be imperfect and still get it wrong but to still know God Salvation an eternity with God, a future, is obtained and maintained by grace alone. If we came into God's kingdom by grace, then we live by grace. If we couldn't get into God's kingdom by doing good works, which we couldn't, just doing good works isn't going to see us through life. It's grace we're brought into God's kingdom by grace, we're sanctified by grace, we're motivated by grace we're called to serve by grace we receive strength to get through by grace, we're glorified by grace the entire Christian life is lived under grace it's all about him it's not about us i'm going to ask shirley and the band if they would if they would come back up we uh, we live as christians under grace we can't save ourselves It's all about him. It's all about Jesus going to the cross and choosing to pay for what we don't have the strength or the ability to pay for ourselves. Some of that might sound a bit of a strange concept. That's okay. At Jubilee and many other places, we run something called the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is a great place to come and investigate these things a little bit more. The Alpha course is all about relationship. It's all about getting to know people. It's all about getting to know people who are part of a church. And it's also about getting to know God. It might be you think, I I haven't got a clue about anything that Neil said this morning. If that's all of you, I've obviously got it wrong. But if that's a few of you, And you're kind of new to church or new to this whole way of thinking. The Alpha Course is for you. It starts half past seven on Thursday night at Melbourne House. Come along. It might be you've been to church for a few weeks and just want to find out a little bit more about what we believe. Then the Alpha Course is for you. It might be that you've done it once before and a few things didn't quite slot into place and you're still not quite. Then the Alpha Course is for you if you're a visitor or a guest here this morning, look, the Alpha course is for you. It is a great place to come and ask all sorts of questions. Why do I need a God of grace? What does that mean for my life? Why did Jesus come to Alpha and ask all of your questions? Nothing you could ask would be too scary, too serious, too silly, too threatening. Come and ask. We're going to finish with a song or two. God's a God of grace. He's a God of second chances. That's what we see time and time again. I get it wrong, God covers it. I miss it, God covers it. And through the Holy Spirit, we move to be more and more like him. I think to finish this morning, whilst we're singing, whilst we're worshipping him, whilst we're thanking him for being a God of grace, he's a God of grace. Of the second chance. And the third, and the fourth, and the seventh, and the seventy times seventh, and so on and so on. I think, I'm fairly sure, there are some folks here this morning who God has spoken to. We had a a big time this morning of you can respond to God. You can change. Actually. It's through God's grace you can change. It might be you're thinking, do you know what? I missed that and I've missed it. You haven't. God's a God of grace. We're going to worship, and if you missed the chance to have someone pray with you this morning, just tap the shoulder of the person next to you. He's the God of a second chance. If... You are battling your way through and you are not sure that actually God's grace is sufficient. It is. And we can pray with you about that. Either come and see someone at the front or tap the shoulder of the person next to you. His grace is sufficient. It might be to get through, do you know what? you need more of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? We can pray for that as well. Now, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to push it. We've had a great time already this morning, God meeting people. But he's the God of grace, the God of the second chance. You have not missed it. So if you want somebody to pray for you this morning, then that's great. See someone and we will do that. You're not out of time.